0: Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC, and I am very, very, very happy to share this hour with you, where we examine those places where our spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We discuss a variety of topics ranging from love to politics to money and business and beyond. And that is because the human experience is wide and varied. And you guys already know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel and has grown onto its own platform, but we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I also want to give a shout out to my guest on the October 26th show, Vanessa Turner. You can connect with Vanessa at her website, tradewithvanessa.com and on social media. And you can grab her books on Amazon and at other fine booksellers. If you miss that show, make sure you listen to the replay. Vanessa shared her experience as an educator and as an entrepreneur looking to create a legacy for the future. You can get to the replay by visiting somewhere in the middle at bit.ly, B-I-T dot slash somewhere in the middle radio, and checking out the on-demand shows. You can find our complete show archives, including the October 26th show, at bit.ly, B-I-T dot slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Now, I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message, guys. We have got to share this with the youth. But remember, it's not just for the kids. We all need to be reminded sometimes that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, I am super pleased to introduce tonight's guest, Denise Bampo. Denise Bampo is a native New Yorker whose background is colored by her immigrant Caribbean heritage and southern roots. She spent her youth as a track and field scholar athlete. This took dedication, and as a result, Denise was no stranger to hard work, and she continually pursued excellence. Due to her intensive academic and athletic training, she was prepared for the challenges of the fast-paced business world. She gained solid experience after having spent over 15 years in the financial services industry. Even though she cultivated a certain level of business acumen, it didn't prepare her for what was to come next as a caregiver. A strong foundation for survival had been laid, but her expertise as a compassionate and resilient advocate was cultivated through her experiences as a caregiver for both of her parents. Denise soon found herself running to the hospital and patient care facilities for her father, who suffered from chronic kidney failure and was on kidney dialysis. Soon thereafter, her caregiving duties expanded to include her mother, who was her father's primary caregiver, until a diabetic episode eventually led to leg amputations. This led to lots of frustrating situations, which can be tough on an only child dealing with a lack of support. To her advantage, Denise's business background helped her to exercise foresight, which prompted Denise to tap into resources early enough to begin to prepare for the road ahead. Health and wellness have also become a key priority for Denise, especially after witnessing the effects of chronic illness on her parents. All of this prompted Denise to establish the wellness and lifestyle platform Be Well, Be Swell to chronicle her journey and to provide resources, resources, tools, support, and information for new and existing caregivers about preparing for caregiving, caregiver self-care, and dealing with post-caregiving. She hopes to build a community that encourages caregivers to remember to take care of themselves while caring for others. Her goal is to inspire caregivers to seek the daily joys of life despite the challenges that may arise. By sharing her experiences, Denise not only is a source of support, but serves as a resource to only children or those who feel like only children who are caring for their elder parents. Denise graduated from SUNY Albany with a degree in business administration. She's a professional coach with a certificate in personal development coaching from the CAP Institute. Currently, she resides in New York with her husband. As a distinguished Toastmaster, she also can be found speaking on a stage near you. When she's not curled up with a good book, Denise can be found dancing in the Zumba class or fine-tuning her kickboxing moves. One of her favorite pastimes includes making scrumptious organic meals as she enjoys delicious culinary flavors.
1: All right, so I would like to welcome Denise Bampo to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. Thank you, Denise, for being on the show with me. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so very glad to be here. Well, I'm really excited because... Well, we met, (laughs) I don't believe in, in coincidence, and we met at the Millions Conference, Tiffany Montgomery's Millions Conference in Dallas several weeks ago, and you came and sat next to me for one of the sessions, and we just got to talking, and I found myself fascinated with you and what you were doing and why you were doing it, and that's what I'm really excited that you'll be able to share with my audience. And I don't know if I mentioned to you, I like to start an interview with just two questions. And I ask these questions because I believe that they really get into who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. So if you're ready for those two questions, I'd like to go ahead and ask them. Sure, go right ahead. All right, Denise Bampo, who are you and how did you become? Who you are today?
2: Who am I? That's a really insightful, good question. And I guess you can say I'm many things. I'm an only child. I'm a daughter. I'm a wife, and a caregiver. And and all of those things help to shape me who I am today. But most notably, um, becoming a a caregiver uh, to my parents has really impacted me in a a really big way. See, I was just going about my life, you know, just like everybody else does, you know, as you're going along. You're doing everything that, you know, normally, you know, everybody would do. You know, you you follow um, all the things that, you normally would do. You go to school, get a good job, you do whatever, maybe, you know, next step, you know, you lay out, you speak about, you know, getting married and starting a family. And that was the plan. But, you know, sometimes your plans get interrupted. Mm-hmm. And while I was just, you know, moving around, doing everything that young adults do, travel, hang out, you know, focus on moving on my career. You know, you really don't still think about, you know, your parents getting sick. And, you know, and that's what happened. Life got interrupted. Uh, I had met the love of my life. And, you know, the next thing on my agenda was family because, well, life goals. You know, that's the next thing that everybody says that you have to do next. But, you know, as I, I mentioned, sometimes you don't get to control what happens. and. So I found myself running to hospitals and and rehab centers and different things um, when my father, you know, became ill. And then, you know, sometime after that, my mother who was his primary caregiver, she became ill as well. And so that meant that I was caring for them simultaneously at the same time. So I, I know you could think that, that that could be really, like, um, taxing, especially for somebody who is an only child. And I really learned a great deal throughout that whole entire process, and and really that's what kind of brought me to today. Um, I wanted to share my experience, and um, I founded uh, BeWellBeSwell.com, uh, the caregiver's toolkit. and just chronicling my journey and just sharing the life lessons that I can help those who are going through that experience or just, you know, help prepare for that experience because I think it's something that, um, you know, everyone may have to deal with at some point in time. It may not be now, but it may be, you know, at some point in time in the future.
1: Yeah, you mentioned, though, That was one of the things you mentioned was that you learned a great deal throughout that process. And I got the impression as we talked that it wasn't just the practical things that you learned. Of course, there's tons of practical things like how to interface with the doctors and the hospitals and all that. But I got the sense that you learned a lot about yourself and about your parents through that process of, you know, taking care of them. Am I – was I picking up on that correctly or – Yeah,
2: you're absolutely correct Um, because I found myself dealing with situations that I really never thought that I would encounter, um, especially at such uh, a young age, uh, you know, because I really think that these days the face of caregiving is getting younger and younger. And, you know, you're faced with certain challenges and um, you're kind of like thrust into some of these roles. And so what I really learned about myself was that, um, how to be an advocate, also um, how to just be more empathetic and more caring, and just how to really take care not only of them but take care of myself through that whole entire process. Because we spend a lot of time nurturing, you know, everyone else, and and we often forget about ourselves. We just put all our energy off into the person we're trying to help, but we also have to take care of ourselves so we can be able to do that service for those that we, you know, are here to help. So let me ask you, what do you mean by how to be an advocate? Well, first, be an advocate when um, you're you're representing the people that you're caring for. In this case, it was my parents. So. Um, It may be interfacing with medical staff and, you know, dealing with insurance companies and, and, um, you know, various things that you encounter along on this journey. But also learning how to be an advocate for yourself. Just learning how to um, navigate the journey and the process, learning how to say no, learning how to deal with um, various things and knowing what you're capable of, and just kind of picking out what's the most important thing that needs my attention right now, and being able to either delegate that, or um, just taking a step back and saying, "Okay, how do I prioritize so I don't burn out, so that I could be able to be, you know, the best that I can be, so that I can help them." So.
1: What it sounds like is that also ties into how to care for yourself because you needed to establish boundaries
2: to some extent. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely something that you learn as you're on this journey because, you know, that that, um, old adage of you can't um, work if your cup is empty. So you have to know, you know, when you're at your max and what you can do in that moment, how to manage to of that. So definitely establishing boundaries. Um, you definitely learn how to do that as you go through the process of caregiving. Would you be able
1: to or willing to share with us one particularly challenging Episode where you had to establish boundaries or, or make sure that you were taking care of yourself while still trying to advocate and take care of uh, advocate for and take care of your
2: parents. Sure. Well, one one thing that really comes to mind, um, you know, I mentioned at one point in time I was dealing with both parents um, being sick, and what that looked like was that one parent was in one hospital and the other parent was in maybe a rehab facility. So that meant that I was running from one end of, you know, um, the city to the other. And it's challenging because, you know, I'm an only child, so it's just me really facilitating and going back and forth and dealing with two sets of doctors and and two sets of staff and, and, you know, wanting to be their advocate and having your presence known but also struggling with, well, how do I juggle going back and forth um, without, like, overtiring or stressing myself out? And, and also, you know, trying to just, I guess, live up to the expectation of what maybe uh, people think that you should be doing. But, you know, there's only so much that you can do. Um, And and that might mean that in some days I can't go to both facilities in the same day because it's just too much. You know, I I had to develop a schedule where, you know, maybe one day I I saw one parent in the one facility and the next day I saw the other. And then um, while they're each in there, it also meant that I was now handling their, you know, financial, and personal affairs. So there was things at, at the house that needed to be taken care of. So learning how to balance all of that and, you know, through that, I really had to say, okay, no, it's okay. You know, maybe I didn't go to um, both facilities in the same day because it just was not possible and um, and, and that was okay. Like learning to be okay with that.
1: Well, and I, I would imagine that there's a certain amount of guilt that you deal with initially until you learn how to be okay with that. I mean, what was the process like for you to number one, realize, wow, well, I can't do it all and then get from that realization to actually acceptance and 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 navigating that in a healthier way? What did that look like for you?
2: Well, um, yeah. Initially, it, it it was difficult. Yes, you do have like this sense of guilt. Well, I should be here, and the expectation is, you know, you're supposed to go every day, or or sometimes, you know, I know other family members had slept in the hospital overnight, you know, every night, or or they took shifts doing that. And but there's there's more of them with their particular um, family unit. And with mine, it was only the three of us. So basically, it was just me. And so I couldn't be in two places at the same time. And oftentimes, you you end up seeing, like, the caregiver themselves end up getting sick Mm. because they're putting all their energy doing everything, and then they're forgetting about themselves. And and, you know, I really had to just learn, like, you need sleep and you need to make sure that you're eating and you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself during this process. And, you know, some of that, you know, was difficult for a while. And, and one of the things that I did was join a, a caregiver support group, which is something that I recommend, you know, um, everyone to, to seek out and find um, a group because they can best understand um, what you're dealing with. And so I was able to join this group, and we would meet like once a week. And it became sort of like a respite because there are other individuals that were caring for their elder parents as well. And so they could understand, and you can use them as a soundboard or just like, you know, something happened, you could get some clarification or if somebody experienced something um, before similar to what you're going through, you kind of could share, oh, how do I deal with this situation or whatever. And it kind of gave you that safe place to not feel guilty or or to hear that somebody else was going through the same thing. And what I think happens a lot when you get into this caregiving role is you, you just, Try to do everything by yourself, and you stay to yourself. And I really learned that you really need to, like, you know, seek out support, maybe talk to others, and, and share because that helps you through the process. And you could also learn from, from other people. So being able to to do that, you know, it, it helped me to to know that it's okay, and just to get that kind of like support. Um, allowed me to just, you know, be okay with moving through the process and, and not trying to be all the things all the time.
1: Very cool. No, that's really important because, I mean, I am grateful that I haven't had to be in that position um, at this stage in my life. But I do recall when my great grandmother became ill, and my grandmother was taking care of her when I was little. And Mm -hmm. she would be at work all day long. She had a very demanding job. She was a nurse, so you know that Mm -hmm. was a very demanding job. And then coming home and taking care of her mother. Mm -hmm. And, And then I was around a lot because my parents worked. You know, my cousin was around because, you know, so she was getting smashed at both ends, and this was before anybody even called it. I think they have a term for that now where you're, it's like you're sandwiched or something like that. I forget what they call yeah. the term. Yes, that where, was yeah. yeah, where you're taking care of young people and, and older people. And this was uh-huh. before they even really had that kind of term. And it was very challenging, I imagine, for her. Of course, as a kid, I didn't realize how exhausting that must have been. And you uh-huh. have a very demanding career yourself. So I'm curious, how did you balance that with your career when when all of this
2: happened? Well, you know, I can say that sometimes things happen for a reason. I, I now really understand when somebody says that, because at the height of my caregiving responsibilities, um, it happened during uh, the the most recent recession, and. You know, during that time, I had uh, gotten laid off from my, um, from my job um, working in the financial industry. So a lot of things were happening at that time. And then, you know, it, it was within those, you know, first few months, things started to come to a head. And I was blessed with being able to have the time to, you know, go back and forth And I see that now, as I reflect back, as it was a blessing. It Mm -hmm. gave me the opportunity to have that time without, you know, um, being sort of like, um, you know, pinned to a corner when you may need time off. You know, maybe there's um, some doctor visits or a surgery is scheduled and, you know, It's critical that you're there, you know, to facilitate the process. And, um, you know, so I was fortunate, you know, to to have that time to be able to to deal with, you know, when, when they both were in the hospital at the same time. So I can honestly look back and say, like, you know, I was really blessed
1: to have that. Well, you also mentioned that you had just met the love of your life. And I imagine that you guys were uh, trying to get serious at that time, and then suddenly these challenges come up with your parents' health. How did that impact the relationship? You know, was it uh, like, oh, we've got to put things on hold, or how did you guys approach that?
2: Um, and you know, what's wonderful is too, you know, and he definitely was a blessing to me as well. Um, and he totally understood everything that I was going through and dealing with and, and really became a, a source of support um, throughout that whole entire process. Um, and um, it was just wonderful to, to have somebody, you know, in your corner, um, somebody that I can call and talk to. And when it really got tough and challenging, you know, I, I could call him and, you know, he would come and just, like, you know, be there with me as a source of support. So it really, I think it really helped our relationship become so much stronger. And also, you know, they say, like, when you go through challenging situations, um, it's really when you get to, to know, um, I guess, the mark of a person, and mm-hmm. and it was really like you know it was like refreshing. It wasn't the money that just ran away and just said, "Oh my gosh, you have too much on your play, and I can't deal with this." It was like, you know, I'm here. What do you, you know, that's wonderful. And, and that was just like, I'm oh like, I couldn't, I I couldn't ask for anything more. And his family was so supportive as well. So it was just like you know having that that extra layer of support especially using an it and all it really
1: was wonderful now that is really wonderful and amazing
2: because i mean it's really easy
1: for somebody well i mean especially if you i don't know how long you guys were seeing each other before all of this uh started but you know it's easy to say oh um drama much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of, yeah. kind of run in the other direction, or even just to say, you know, and this is not me trying to man bash, because women do this as well, you know, it depends on the personality of the person, but he could right. have been someone who said, hey, you're supposed to be focusing on me right now, right. what's your deal, you know, uh, but instead, you, well, that's also a testament to your good judgment of character, uh-huh. I want to say that as well.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so give yourself some props
1: <laughs> there too. It's not yes. it's not just him. It's that you had the you were able to discern that he was a good soul like that. That's awesome. All
2: right. Yes. Very kind, caring and just, you know, very supportive. Well,
1: talk to me about this concept of developing more empathy, becoming more empathetic. What did you see happening in yourself that made you become more empathetic? What kinds of situations arose that made you become more empathetic, and how did they change you?
2: Well, I guess um, how it became more empathetic was just being more sensitive to to someone that's going through an ordeal or a, a challenge and just stepping up and saying, well, what can I do to help? And, you know, just, just being there and just, you know, um, seeing them go through these challenges, like, what can I do to make it easier for you? And that became, you know, my primary focus because it's like, you know, my parents were there for being, you know, my whole entire life. It, it's only, um, it's like I couldn't think of anything other than being of service to them. It's just like, you know, to be there, to advocate, to make sure that they got what they needed. And it's like I really became more sensitive to their needs, um, you know, if, if they weren't having a good day or uh, or maybe, you know, uh, it was a particular challenge, you know, that came up. Um, it just, you know, I don't know. I guess it really made me more sensitive to that. And, like, you know, even to this day, you know, when I see um, elderly people or, you know, someone that's having difficulty walking or whatever, you know, I, I extend myself to help them because, mm-hmm. you know, I just what I found is that, you know, a lot of people, um, I don't know if, it, if it's like, you know, the, the elderly are kind of invisible or people with disabilities, you know, are kind of like not paid attention to as much. And, you know, it's sort of like, okay, you see someone with, a walker, you know, trying to open a door to go into a store, and and they're obviously having challenges. And it's just like, well, no, hold on, let me help you. You know, and usually the response is like they're taken aback, like, wow. And I'm just like, well, how can you, like, see somebody struggling and not step out to help them, you know? And then, um, you know, and then, you know, both of my parents ended up being wheelchair-bound. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm traveling with them, you really begin to see how a lot of things are not accessible by wheelchair. And so, you know, being an able-bodied person, you get to see it through the lens, you know, through somebody else's eyes, what they have to encounter and challenges. So where we go depends on is there access, you know, if we're planning an event or something, you know, are are they gonna be able to accommodate a wheelchair coming through? you know so right. those things like really brought, became you know to the forefront of my mind. It's like I look out for them now or even um you know having to have made modifications to the home because now you're they're in wheelchairs, how are they going to get in you know the mm. the front of the the home had steps, so we we'll had to think about making accommodations. Um, to be able to facilitate getting in and out of of the home, especially for my dad because he was um, a dialysis patient, right? So that means that he had to go to treatment three times a week. So there was no ifs, ands, or buts about, you know, leaving the house. It's, you know, necessary for, you know, maintaining life. So, you know, as time went on and he progressed through the stages of needing more assistance, you know, first he started with a cane, and then it progressed to um, a walker, and then eventually, you know, became dependent upon a wheelchair. And But these are things I would have never really paid attention to or saw the need to have to be able to navigate around. And I think um, a lot of times you don't think about it until you experience it or, you know, you have somebody close to you that, that um, you know is dealing with something, or maybe you know you're just accompanying them somewhere, and you start to feel like, wow, this is kind of difficult. You know, how do you get through um, when everything is is not really accessible for everybody? And so I really you know begin to to have more empathy about these things and just um, just entirely more sensitive and. Um, you know, it just comes to the point of, my, point of my mind more naturally than it really
1: ever did. Yeah, and I think U.S. culture, we value youth and ability so much uh-huh. that it's easy to overlook those who are no longer youthful and do not have certain abilities anymore.
2: Right. So, what did you learn about caring for yourself
1: as the caregiver?
2: Well, I learned um you know one of the first things I mentioned before was that you know saying no um and also um, I really you know began to um, be more mindful about um you know, how I take care of myself health-wise and keeping up with, you know, appointments. Um, I mean, it was something that I always did, but, um, you know, given the health challenges that my parents faced, it made me become more aware of, you know, health is really well, you know. Mm -hmm. And once you lose your health, it is so much harder to get it back. And so, it's much better to maintain it because, you know, it's very difficult to recover uh, in some cases. And so, you know, I really began to just really pay more attention to that. Um, nutrition-wise, I think I've become sort of like a nutrition nut, <laughs> you know, looking at all things like, you know, certain vitamins and veggies and and things and, and, you know, going to the gym. Like one of my favorite things is going to Zuma class. Um, But it's like it's something that's always been a part of my lifestyle, but even more so, um, you know, as I get older, because I know that um, as we progress in age, you know, it's difficult to recover, becomes more difficult to recover. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had, you know, been an athlete, for most of my life, um, I used to run track and field, um, you know, from elementary school to undergrad. And you know what happens. Once you graduate and you go on and you start <laughs> your working life, you're kind of like, oh, I don't need to do this anymore. Or, or it might not even be I don't need to do this anymore. You don't have as much time because it's, right. it's easier when you're just going to class, you know, all day. And I would have track classes in the evenings, and then I had meets. So my my whole life was just, you know, was um, centered around, you know, exercise. When now, okay, you know, you're working in some kind of office and you're sitting at a desk all day. And when you leave the office, it's like, oh, I'm tired, you know, and you don't want to, like, do anything. And, you know, I really started to become more mindful of movement is important because, you know, I watch – uh, my parents, as they went through their various challenges, and um, and, and the one thing, if you don't move, you you definitely will lose it. And, and sometimes, you know, it might be by choice that you decide, okay, you know, I don't really need to do this today. I'll get to it tomorrow. Or, you know, it could be some really life-altering event that sends you to the hospital, and now um, you can't anymore because of whatever situation. Mm-hmm. So. Um, You know, that's just something that I became, you know, even more aware of and just wanted to definitely maintain. And then the other thing about care for myself is it's not really sacrificing um, my dreams and goals because I'm now in this role of caregiving. I think a a lot of people um, forego what it is that they're passionate about or maybe they um, were seeking to do because now they're thrust into this role. So it, for me it's become, you know, um, having something to look forward to, something that was my own to pursue and still continue to work towards, provided an outlet. And if you have an outlet that maybe is not necessarily um, related to your daily caregiving, me, then you have something else to look forward to and, and that kind of resets your mind and gives you, you know, some sort of peace, some sort of respite, some sort of space. And you can come back feeling refreshed and more full and a little bit more able to, to do the service that, you know, you have in this time. So those are the things that really kind of, like, um, help shape me and just, you know, pay more attention to caring for myself because, um, you know, your needs is still important too. Mm. And, and one thing I like to tell people is that, you know, everything that you're doing for the caregiver, for the, for the caregivers, you know, making sure, you know, they take, they're getting enough food, food, meals, going to their doctor's appointments, you know, maybe you're taking care of their household responsibilities, like finances, paying bills, doing all of that stuff you need to do that for yourself, too. And you, and you really can't let that stuff fall by the wayside because this is happening. So it, it's becoming able to prioritize and sort of juggle or balance you know, between the two and make yourself a priority, too, not necessarily drop everything pertaining to you to do everything for everybody else. And then that's when you kind of get strained but kind of feel, you know, like empty. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're taking care of these things, um, you're kind of filling yourself back up.
1: Very good. No, that's really important to take care of yourself because if your health declines, then what? You know, if exactly. you you get too stressed out, then what? Um, exactly. So. so tell me, what, What kind of information can people find on BeWellBeSwell.com?
2: Well, on uh, BeWellBeSwell.com, I really try to address, you know, the needs of um, the caregiver and also, um, you know, family members. I think one of the the misconceptions about caregiving is that you have to be actively doing it. And you may not. There, there's different stages to caregiving. You know, there's, um, you know, you may not be actively caregiving. It may not even be a need at this point in time. However, what I like to encourage people to do is start having those conversations with your family members, you know, if it's an elder or maybe yourself. Um, just run what is it that they have set up in place. You know, there's certain legal documents that, Um, you know, should be in place, should something happen, Um, for example, a power of attorney or something, you know, and and start to consider those things. Um, Because if if something happens, you know, would you know where their their documentation or the insurance stuff is? I mean, a lot of times people don't share this information, and if a critical event happens, you might not know where to go to get this information, you know, especially if you live. You know, someplace else other than where they live, and also just you know providing resources to to those who are actively caregiving. Um, maybe you're in the process of going through um, a challenging event, and you need to know where where can I start? You know, so um, you know those are the what are what are the the things that um, you know I, I have provided. Um, based on my experience, um, I I created this uh, caregiver's prep guide, and, um, you know, basically it goes into the the main tenets of exploring what you're already doing um, as a family member. Um, You could be actively caregiving and, and not even know it, you know, just the little things that you do, maybe taking someone to the doctor's appointment or so. So, you know, what I've included in that guide is, like, a, um, a self-assessment just to, for you to see what is it that you're already doing, and also there's an, an elder care assessment in that um, guide as well. So you can assess the needs of where um, your, your elder is uh, and just begin to forecast and foresee so you can start to plan. You know, sometimes um, you may not need to do anything right now, and maybe it's just you know, gather the right documents or start the conversation of, oh, okay, mom and dad, you know, um, what would you like? And just, you know, have that intimate knowledge um, available to you. And also uh, I've included um, a safety assessment. Uh, I mentioned before that it had to do some modifications to the home. So we had to install a ramp so that the wheelchair could get in and out. And then also the, in, in, the, in the home, it's on multi levels. So how now are you going to get up the stairs if you can't really make it up the stairs? So one of the things that I had to do was have a, a stair lift installed. So they're able to transfer to the chair, and the, the chair takes them up the stairs. So mm-hmm. that alleviated that problem. So there, there's certain things that, you know, I would never have thought of, oh, okay, this is a solution. So, you know, I've included that assessment in the guide just to, just you know, give an, an eye-opening piece about what you might need in home, home um, that can, can help someone that, that might need a little bit more assistance. And and sometimes these things, they creep up on you. So I off like here. You know, I mentioned that my father started off with, a, with just meeting a team, and then he graduated to the Walker. So really the Caregiver's Prep Guide takes you through the progression of just beginning to, to see, you can start the dialogue of what you need and um, where where you may need to be looking ahead to go. And then also, you know, different options um, for different types of care, you know, should you need that into the future. So, you know, that's definitely something um, that, that's available there. And uh, that could be found at be well, be um forward slash uh, caregivers prep. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. Awesome. That sounds see.
1: like a lot of valuable information that you've put together for folks. And oh, yeah. they, they can connect with you there as well, right? So they can email you. They can call you. How can they reach you?
2: Oh, yeah. So, you know, you can go to BeWellBeSwells.com and you can reach me there. i um, also available on uh, most platforms and social me- media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, Periscope. all at BeWellBeSwells. Awesome. And do you have any live
1: events coming up? Are you going to be doing any workshops or, or um, coaching calls where people can jump on those calls with you? And if so, how can they find out about
2: that? Um, I do have some workshops in development. Um, They haven't been scheduled as of yet. But what I would recommend is to go to BeWellBeSwell.com and sign up to be uh, on the mailing list so that you could be um, the first to know when those uh, events are taking place. Very cool, very cool. Well, I
1: appreciate so much, much much, what you're doing. And part of the reason, of course, you know, my mom became ill when I was much too young to to deal with those things. I was, you know, only 19, had no idea, and, um, you know, other folks had to step in to help then. But I have an, a father who is uh, an older gentleman, although he would probably not admit that. <laughs> <laughs> And these are things that I had never thought of. So when I was talking with you at the Millions Conference, it really did make me say, wow, I need to, you know, get with my sister and we need to start, you know, thinking about these things and and talking Mm -hmm. about them so that we can have a plan in place. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge, your experience, and just being so candid about what you experienced and how challenging it was and being willing to, to bring that forward for people.
2: Um, well, I just want to thank you again for inviting me so that I can share my story and just, you know, be a resource for those out there that um, may be going through this experience or just to help them just get prepared because, you know, um, what I found, um, sometimes having time is just the best thing. And, and sometimes you can't control not having enough time. But if you do have, um, you know, the foresight, and the time, I think that you should take advantage of that. Begin those conversations and don't be afraid to, to start them because it becomes really helpful when, um, you know, it becomes really helpful to just have that information on hand um, if something happens. And I just one last thing, you know, my mother used to try and have these conversations with me all the time. and. I was like, "How well, I don't want to talk about that. I'm like, y- you know, you're, you know, you can be around forever. And she's like, no, I'm not, Denise. And, you know, I, I would try to avoid these conversations. But, you know, I would listen half the way, but then really when she became in a critical state in the hospital, I remembered what she told me. And I was so glad that she had, you know, started that conversation with me, even though I really wasn't open. And I think, you know, a lot of people may be, um, you know, feeling the same way. I don't want to deal with this or talk about that. And I think it's not something to be afraid of because preparation um, will do you a lot of good and will will help in any situation if you um, are, are blessed with the opportunity to do so. I agree 100%,
1: 100%. Thank you again. Denise Bempo, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for coming on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Guys, make sure you reach out to Denise on her website, BeWellBeSwell.com. Make sure you look for her on social media. That is, what, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual suspects, all at BeWellBeSwell.
0: Denise, thank you. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break for an announcement, and then we'll be back for a chat with Julia Black in our new segment, True Talk.
2: Hey, folks, John Kane here with Exponential Cashflow. If you've ever had a money challenge in your life, meaning lack of money, then I think my company can help. We teach average, hardworking folks how to successfully invest in the financial markets. You don't need a lot of money, which a lot of people think opposite, and. We teach folks from teenagers up to senior citizens, so anyone can learn. If you're interested in learning more, then all you got to do is go to ExponentialCashFlow.com and give us a little information about yourself. And in return, we're going to send you a free ebook on how the professionals do it. Plus, we're also going to give you a free personalized investment strategy session. And if you happen to own a business, we'll give you a free business growth strategy session as well. So go to ExponentialCashFlow.com.
0: All right, so we are back with Julia Black and our segment, True Talk. Hey, Julia, how are you today? I'm good, how are you? Very, very fun. Thank you so much. And um, so, you know, we just had that wonderful interview with Denise, and it got me thinking about this concept of establishing boundaries. And... You know, what's your experience with that, whether as a caretaker, caregiver, or in it, really just, frankly, as a woman, uh, what, what's your experience with that whole issue of establishing boundaries?
3: Well, mine mine is a little bit different. I, I don't have any kind of caretaking type experience um, to the same extent, um, but I am the oldest in my family. I'm the oldest child. Um, I am, therefore, um, the one kind of everybody goes to. I'm also the, um, currently, I I live close to my parents, I live close to my family, um, and there's, um, and I don't have any kids, so if my mom needs something extra, then I'm the one that, you know, my folks need something extra, then I'm the one they call, and for the most part, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I don't mind doing it, and I like doing it, but I was also raised Catholic, so there's a lot of guilt involved there, and there's a lot of responsibility in being the oldest um, that was kind of drilled into me. So there's a lot of things where, you know, I'm asked to do a lot of stuff, and I have to uh, decide if I have the bandwidth or if I want to do
0: what I'm being asked. And is, are you finding, I mean, I know for me, sometimes I find it really challenging you know, for me, it's mostly with my kids, right? You know, I've got Uh three kids. One's in law school right now. Another's in college and others in high school. And man, these last few years with all those applications for scholarships and college and all these different things, it's been exhausting. It's been Uh exhausting. And, you know, last minute, hey, can you review this essay or what have you, you know, or Uh even just other things that folks have asked me to do. Of course, I'm always willing to do and to help, particularly for my kids, but it's sometimes just not possible to do in that moment, especially if they come at the last minute, uh-huh. and it's very stressful, and it, yeah. I mean, it's hard to say no, it's hard to, it's hard to find another way to make that happen, yeah. so what's your experience with
3: that? Well, there's a lot of stuff, you know, because, you know, I, I, generally, if someone, like, I, I I was getting this a lot actually, where people would just kind of call me at the last minute and go, "Hey, can you?" Because I'm I'm a writer and editor as well as an energy healer and a life coach and, and all the ten thousand things that I do. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, no, there there are lots of times when people will send me something. Like my brother, my brother's a lot younger than me, he's ten and a half years younger. And so when he was in college, I'd get. I'd get an email, "Hey, this is due tomorrow. Can you review this and I would kind of drop everything and do it." And eventually, you know, there were times it was like, "No, sorry. Like I've I've got a deadline. I've got a work deadline. I've got something else to do." Like, "When, you know, does it have to be done today? Can it be done tonight? Like will you wake up in the morning, you know, if I get it to you by nine o'clock tonight will you wake up early enough to be able to do the edits and if his answer was no then it's like all right then sorry Uh, the way that it works you know is that yeah i have no issues editing your paper i have no issues helping you with this but calling me at the last minute to do it can be a problem if i'm on a deadline
0: well and i think that i think that and maybe I'm biased, I'm willing to put that out there, perhaps I'm biased, but I think that for women in particular, there's a tendency for folks to just assume that we can and will do, and mm-hmm. and on our part, there's often an assumption that we should do, or need to do, mm-hmm. and so well, yeah. we don't, we don't easily establish those boundaries.
3: Yeah, and for me to for me too, it, it, I am, pretty open with my family about what what I'm okay doing you know for the most part I almost always say yes there's almost never a time when you know I turn someone down because most of the time I'm very happy to do it most of the time you know I can okay let me and they've kind of learned over the years to give me enough time okay um you know we have this thing going on why don't you you know is this something you can make okay we can do it in a couple of weeks you know they can set it up on a on a calendar and all right I have something else going on and that's all fine and good but it's hard sometimes you know with last minute stuff so what do you think are some of the reasons I mean why do you think people
0: do that <laughs> why do you think they do that to us I mean and I'm saying us because I think there's kind of a universal us in this you know well, I don't
3: think- I mean, when it comes to my family, I don't think I don't think they're trying to take advantage of me as much as it's just, hey, this is something Julia can do to help, and this is kind of part of my family culture, and that's fine. When it comes to other people, I think it depends on um, on the person involved. I think a lot of people are going to try and get something done um, that they don't have to do. A lot of people are going to try and pawn something off, and they'll think about, okay, who who almost always says yes, and who can I get to do this oh let me ask let me ask julia or let me ask you know they they think about the people that are more laid back or that don't say no very often or that they think that they can get help from i mean this is kind of the thing that goes on in churches right where where the people that volunteer for things at church are the ones that end up doing everything Mm -hmm. um Well, but
0: it happens in business too. Like, so I have certain folks that'll come to me literally at the last minute with things and I usually pull it out for them, but they're like friends who Mm -hmm. are also business associates and I can usually pull it out for them, but it always involves much more work than what they say it is. Oh, I just need you to do this two paragraph thing. And I'm like, no, it's two paragraphs and I have to do like an hour's worth of research and I have to do this and this and this. And they're like, oh, but you charge me so much. I'm like, no, I don't charge you enough for right. coming, number one, coming at the last minute. Number two, the project is never exactly what you say it is. Uh-huh. And then it always takes three times as long. Yeah. And so, you know, even there, establishing boundaries is is challenging, I think, particularly uh-huh. for women because, we already have issues a lot of times not I don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush but there is oftentimes an issue with women in terms of even charging appropriately for our services right
3: right well I think part of it too with women or at least with me um a kind of kind of part of in business in particular there is this desire to be liked Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, if they don't like me, then they're not going to work with me. Um, and if I, you know, if I set this boundary, does that mean that they're not going to work with me in the future? Um, you know, does that mean that I'm going to lose a client? Does that mean that I am going to come across as a, you know, as a raving bitch, like whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> whatever, right. whatever our issues are, you know, women that are, strong women that set boundaries in business are ones that are generally depicted by mm-hmm. others as being negative, you know,
0: aggressive,
3: aggressive you know, <laughs> insert, insert negative adjective here. Right. Um, and aggressive.
0: aggressive, aggressive is only negative when it applies to a woman. It's okay. Exactly.
3: Yeah. It's never, them. it's never with a man, but there's also things, you know, they're aggressive. They're hard to work with. They're a diva. They're, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of,
0: yeah problematic
3: yeah there's all kinds of words depending on what your um what your industry is and so there you know but there but we as women also are always taught and 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 I would hope that that's starting to change now since there's there seems to be more of a discussion about how we're how we're framing conversations with girls, you know, we we grow up when when we're playing and we're bossy for, if we're the leader of the group and we want we have things that we want to play and we start telling people how we want to play, then we're bossy. Um, You know, if you're a girl, if you're a boy, then you're a leader. Um, So there's a lot of, there's a lot of those kinds of discussions that we've kind of been trained, socially trained well, it's a bad, it's a bad way to put it, but that's essentially what's been happening. what's I can, happened to us?
0: I can say that with I have I have two daughters, and one of them is more assertive than than the other. And what I used to always say is that she's got a gift for delegating.
3: <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, yeah, she's she's she she's a leader, and she knows what she can handle, and so she delegates what she can. not That's fine <laughs> that's the way it should be, you know, that's, that's that's a good leadership quality is to know how to delegate. Um, but I think all of these things are things that we need to kind of keep in mind, you know, am I, if you are given a project and the, and the deadline is too soon, or you don't want to do it, or the idea of, Doing it makes you want to kind of crawl under under the covers in bed. Then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't be afraid that you're going to lose the client because probably in the end it's good that you're losing the client. <laughs> yeah, not all money is good money. Exactly. You know, you don't do. You, do you want the extra heartache with this person that's going? No, oh, it needs to be done now. Um, you know, with everything else that you have on your plate.
0: So what are three things that you would recommend as far as establishing boundaries? How can we know that we need to establish some boundaries? What are some tools that we can use or what kind of things should we be thinking about with regard to establishing boundaries?
3: I think the first thing for me, for a long, long, long time, there was a... I was in the habit of always saying yes. And I didn't realize that I was in the habit of saying yes until I was completely overcommitted. Um, And then it was – I'd already committed, and I said, oh, God, I don't want to do this. Why did I even say yes? Oh, yeah, because I don't say no. So there needs to be a – every time someone asks you to do something, stop and ask yourself, how do I – do I really want to do this? If the answer is I don't know, okay, then stop and think, how does it feel? If there's any part of you, any physical, emotional change – when you think about this particular project or event or thing that someone has asked you to do, if there's something like that and it doesn't feel right, then say no. And, and don't just, and you could say it nicely. <laughs> you know, you could say, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm, this is just not something I, I, I'm going to do. And you don't have to give a reason why. You, and that's the other thing is that I often felt like I needed to give a good reason why I couldn't do something. Right. And you don't. And I still, I mean, it's been years where I don't, it's been years now where I've started to say no to people and I still have to make a point to say I do not have to give them a reason.
0: Yeah, we don't have to explain everything, I guess. I mean, men feel very comfortable not explaining. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, and that's not to make this a man-woman thing, but I have noticed that. I've noticed that I've had plenty of men tell me no about something and give no app, absolutely no explanation. But if I, you know, say no to one of them, I always feel the obligation.
3: Yeah. You know, I mean, you just say, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I can't. And leave it at that. And that's okay. You know, and really give yourself permission not to feel guilty because it's important. There's no reason to feel guilty for saying no. Because in the end, if, if your body and your soul is telling you that, this is not something you want to do, then don't do it. You don't you don't need the guilt. You don't need the there's no reason. If no one else is going to beat you up for it, then you certainly don't need to.
0: Well, there you go. That's it. So, guys, I guess the main takeaways here are number 1 just just say no if you need to. If you don't feel like it's something you want to do or can do, then just say no. No need to explain yourself. Obviously, if you're in a caretaking position, you may need to help find an alternative
3: mm-hmm.
0: or or get some help in there somehow to take care of it because whatever it is probably needs to be done. But mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be done by you.
3: Yeah. And there are ways to problem solve around situations in in cases like that where there's caretaking or child care or something like that involved where you're just fried and you can't handle it. Um you know, there's, you know, you can ask, I would say, not only say no, but ask for help to get around the situation.
0: And then also check and see how you feel, because uh, the truth is, sometimes you just don't have the bandwidth, because you just don't have the bandwidth emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, what have you. Uh, Like I always say, sometimes I just want to lie down and look at the ceiling fan, and you know, I'm within my rights to do that. So uh, make sure that you're not Overexerting yourself when you really do need to rest your body, your mind, your spirit, and um, go through a period of self examination, you know especially if you find that you're you agree to do something and then you feel some kind of way about it, well, you need to look at that, look at how you feel, work through the emotions, why'd you agree to do something that you didn't want to do, and then how can you prevent that from happening again
3: and that and that is a big that is a big thing because you know, so often there there are certain circumstances, whether it's with family or with work or we just or church or, you know, lots of things, volunteer work or something that is a that you feel is a good cause or that your values, your values strongly think, you know, are guiding you towards doing it. It doesn't mean that you that you have to do it is that sometimes it's just, OK, those are the things that I had to stop and really think about, okay, is this something that I really need to do? It's something that I want to do and my values tell me that I, sh- that I that I should do, but is it going to be best for me? Those are
0: some great insights, Julia. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Julia, for being on the show. Thank you. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michellebarard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send over some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you guys tune into the show on November 23rd when my guest will be education advocate Stacy McClam. You can find us every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at bit.ly, bit.ly slash somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us at bit.ly, B-I-T slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain free. Peace and blessings, y'all.